0: Welcome to Tech London, a show featuring interviews with London's top creative entrepreneurs, startups, investors, design agencies, internet marketers, and freelancers that make up the Tech London online community, which mostly lives on the Slack instant messaging platform. We rotate through both hosts and guests for these interviews, so you have the chance to hear from multiple perspectives on London's tech scene. Right. Well, welcome back to the Tech London podcast. I'm here with Adrienne Young, Youngman. Sorry, Adrian Youngman. <laughs> thanks for joining, uh, Adrienne. Great to have you on the show. It's pleasure. Excellent. So, Adrienne, uh, you're one of the, the newer members of the Tech London Slack community. And uh, you're the co-founder of Rise, a tech startup with uh, impact so- social impact goals. Um, yep, yep. Thanks for joining. And um, I'd love for you to just uh, share with our listeners... Um, a bit about, um, you know, your journey and how you came to to found Rise. Um, there's, we were just talking about some of your, your backstory, which sounds quite interesting. So I'd love for you to share some of that.
1: Yeah, about. sure. Um, so I guess I came into tech a little bit later in my life than most people. Uh, most people I work with are at least one, if not two decades younger than I am. I mm-hmm. started out in corporate strategy. I spent ten years making my mum proud and kind of following the golden railway tracks. Um, had some amazing experiences and awesome companies, but was always kind of curious as to what lay off the tracks, what lay over the horizon. Um, met a, a husband, well, met a man who became my husband, um, who was equally, if not more, curious. And we decided we had a window in which we could afford to kind of take risks before we had to start being grown ups and think about children and whatnot. Um, and at that time, an opportunity came up in Mongolia, uh, which definitely ticks the adventure box. Um, we've always, I've always lived in other countries. Um, I lived in Africa growing up and I was born in Ireland and settled in London. Um, so we kind of wanted to to go further afield. We found ourselves in Mongolia um, and decided the obvious thing to do in three months into marital life was to go into business with each other, which is... <laughs> Um, not always advised, I think. Uh, but fortunately for us, works out all right, um, and we set up a recruitment, training, and coaching business.
0: Amazing. Um, mm. It's funny. Like usually, when I think of when I've heard about Mongolia in the past, the first thing that comes to mind is the is the uh, eagle the Mongol... hunting,
1: horse riding,
0: the the rally. There's a oh, the
1: Mongol rally, yeah, 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 yeah. the car derby
0: Yeah. Um, so for for those that are unaware, the Mongol rally and correct me if I get any of this wrong, but is a nope. rally which started when um, I think it was some sort of drunken bet between um, uh, two chaps who, uh, who basically bet each other that they couldn't um, drive a beat-up car all the way to Mongolia. And it basically, they, they came up with this idea, and then one of them actually decided to go and do it. Um, and it ended up turning into this sort of mushrooming into this massive rally uh, that kicks yeah. off in London and ends up in, in Mongolia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I'm so once
1: a year you get a load of beat-up cars arriving in Lombarder.
0: <laughs> That's right. And some of the vehicles are pretty uh, pretty outrageous, aren't they? Double-decker buses and
1: yeah.
0: ambulances and all yeah. kinds of crazy things. Yeah. But obviously your, your journey was a little bit different. I'm, I'm curious, how did that opportunity come up? Um, where, where did it come out of?
1: Um, so my husband got a job offer, and um, that kind of was what drew us out there in the first place,
0: mm. and
1: then we realized a few weeks into being there that there were um, things going on in the company that we weren't completely comfortable with, and it wasn't the right fit for, for various reasons, um, but at that point, we'd already landed, um, and the country was going through what can, I can only imagine the beginning of a gold rush feels like um, it sits on some of the world's largest unexploited mineral reserves uh, on the border of one of the largest consumer well, or the largest consumer in the world of mineral reserves on the border of China um, and the economic story was amazing and you know the investment environment was insane and You had kind of people piling in from everywhere, and it was euphoric. Like The energy was palpable. Everybody had at least one, if not two or three business ideas. And it just was a really exciting and energizing place to be. And the culture was very different. The people are wonderful. Um, So we kind of decided to dive in with both feet.
0: Amazing. How many years were you there for?
1: Uh, so we lived there ourselves for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, we were living there when I had our first child. Mm-hmm. And then um, the economy started to encounter issues. The government picked a fight with China and Rio mm-hmm. Tinto and everything kind of started to to stall economically. Um, we mm-hmm. were very fortunate. We built a really awesome team who were more than capable of running you know, the business that was left without us. Um, and with the young child it felt like a good time to make a move. So we, we headed down to Singapore and set up another business. Amazing. Again in recruitment and training. Amazing. Well mainly recruitment, a little bit of coaching.
0: So from Mongolia to Singapore, that's that's also an interesting jump as well.
1: About as opposite as you can get to markets. <laughs> yeah.
0: So what how how did that transition happen? Like what was
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'd love to say it was a really well thought through plan um we moved down to malaysia just as a a great place to be based while we figured out what we did next mm. and then we were in singapore just for the for the a long weekend at one point and we ran into one of our clients who was a global mining hrd looked after asia he kind of we ran literally bumped into him in the square in Raffles Place, and um, he asked us if we wanted to work on one of his roles because he'd been having issues filling it. Um, We thought we'd give it a go and then realized just how different the business model is in a country where salaries are 10 times higher than they were in Mongolia (laughs) Mm. Um, and realized that there wasn't actually a secret source to what any of the big players did and decided to carve out a niche for ourselves.
0: Excellent. Um, So, it sounds like you're you're fairly experienced at completely um, you know upping sticks and and moving to a new, yes. uh, completely different environment. I think um, that's fair. What do you like? Do you think? Um, are there any things that you learn from going through that whole process of assimilation and getting used to a different culture and um,
1: a million. Um, a million. We had um, a whole heap of learnings. I am mm. still learning. Um, I think, yeah, you know, when we got to Mongolia, we were determined to be very respectful of the local country and the norms. And um, but we also had ideas in our head of what kind of company we wanted to create, and we had like visions of this completely flat hierarchy where everybody. Shares ideas and as an ex consultant, I decided to run strategy workshops for the team. And that was one of our first learnings was mm. that when we were asking them what they thought the answer was, what they understood was that we didn't know. So coming from quite a egalitarian background into quite a hierarchical structure, actually, you know, I think you'd be surprised by what things can trip you up and we actually developed a, a training module for expats coming in because of the differences that, that you just don't expect and I think I always thought of myself as very international um, but you kind of find yourself when you find yourself in a new country feeling frustrated and just feeling like you just are speaking a different language even if you're speaking the same language then often there's something else at the root of it so I think just kind of Taking that frustration as a warning sign and just listening and talking to people, um, and and just kind of I guess being really willing to ask questions and um, but also knowing what matters to you and what's true to you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because you can't,
1: you know, I think one of the things we, the balance we struck in the end with our companies was, you know, yes, this is a different culture, but ultimately it's also our company and it's got to be true to both of those. It can't be, you can't, you've got to kind of find a balance.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So transitioning from country to country and also corporate to, to startup, can you walk us through what the that transition was like as well from going from your corporate background into the whole startup space, what things kind of surprised you? What things are different for you?
1: Um, So I'm not sure it's a surprise per se, but you kind Mm. of, um, I realized how much I loved IT support, even though I used to complain about them when I was in corporate. (laughs) Suddenly Mm. you have to wear every hat in the startup and I became our IT person, which was quite amusing. Um, So I think you kind of, I missed having a boss, actually, like Mm. a good boss. Because you don't have that person you can go to with questions, you don't have that mentorship kind of built into the structure. Um, you learn everything the hard way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's insanely intense. I, I used to work in big corporate, so you know if if you're in if you're in a massive cruise liner, you're only ever going to change it a little bit. And, you know, you you tweak it this way, you tweak it that way. You can have an impact, but it's kind of steady state emotionally in a way. Like, I feel like your emotional range when you work in a corporate is is much narrower. And then you work for yourself and the business is you and everything kind of lands with you. Mm. And the roller coaster you go through, like the highs are so much higher, uh, but the lows are also that much lower.
0: Mm, absolutely. Um, and so obviously, you know, mentorship is a uh, something you're quite passionate about. Um, do you feel that and it obviously provides that kind of support system? I'm assuming from from those corporate days, you know, going into startup world, which is where you, everyone's expected to be mm. a lot more autonomous. Um, yeah. c- can you describe how, um, like your how you're with rise your 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 new startup, how your you know, how you approach mentorship.
1: Um, Yeah. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. I I think um, moving out of a more structured environment made me realize how much I'd valued those interactions. Um, The way that mentorship is done traditionally, I -hmm. think can be a bit hit and miss. So actually, a lot of the mentorship I missed wasn't the formal stuff, it was the informal stuff. You know, just happening to sit next to somebody at a coffee and getting that bit of insight that you needed or talking to your line manager about something and then saying, oh, you should contact this person because they've done something. Sim-. And then you have that, in, you know, you get the insight when you need it. Um, whereas I feel like a lot of the traditional mentorship, you know, it's it's half an hour conversation. It may have a loose agenda. It comes a lot down to just the chemistry of that interaction. Mm. And depending on that, it it can feel amazing and it can be life-changing or it can feel frustrating and <laughs> and not be. Um, so what we're trying to do with Rise is trying to make mentorship or the impact of mentorship more bite-sized, more specific, more actionable, and more scalable. So by creating a platform and we're focusing on kind of career choices and career entry... Because I think it's a huge social problem at that graduate level at the moment. Um, and trying to give them access to very specific feedback and then design the interaction through the platform in a way that mentors can kind of come in and get that quick dopamine hit of there's a question, there's a specific ask, you answer it. And you kind of it doesn't take too much time. It's very clear and then you what you give to the mentee is something that again is very specific and actionable. So we're looking at CVs as a use case. Um, so they're trying to make CV review faster and give feedback to people that, that can enable them to level up their their documents and get more interviews and get more feet and more doors. Um, but we're also looking at kind of interview advice insight into roles, insight into companies and just trying to create, through technology, interactions that can hopefully be more hit than miss and easier to scale.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, sounds like a very noble cause to me.
1: <laughs> and we're focusing on people who... Um, so that's what the, where the social impact piece comes in, mm-hmm. is that I think everybody benefits from mentorship. <laughs> everybody I know Um, you know, I was fortunate. I was state school educated, but I got a break actually through a mentor's intervention as well in a way. I got a break into Cambridge and that kind of set me onto a a different trajectory and opened up opportunities that, I mean, still opens up opportunities, which is crazy two decades on. Um, so a lot of the people I'm surrounded with have access to incredible, or was surrounded with, had access to incredible resources, but even they, I think, would value this kind of, you know, mentorship, but where it's most important is where you're talking to groups that are maybe, you know, first generation into uni. A lot of the users we're talking to are the first in their families ever to go to uni um, who come from maybe underrepresented groups where they don't see themselves in a lot of the roles that we're, we're talking about, let alone have ability to then access insight on how to get into those roles and how to talk the talk. Um, So we're trying to help kind of focus on that issue of social capital and helping those who have less of it to level it up so that we can have a more meritocratic world in which people with equal potential have equal access to opportunity.
0: Yeah, interesting. And one of the things you mentioned earlier is that you feel that social inequality is going to be exasperated or accelerated by COVID and the pandemic. Yeah. Can you tell me more about why, why you think that's the case?
1: A few reasons. I think the longer term uh, school closures is, Mm. you know, the kids from under. I remember at the start of the crisis, at the start of the pandemic. I won't call it a crisis. At the start of the pandemic, the kind of people kept saying, "Oh, we're all in the same ship." And then I saw a meme going around saying, "You know, we're not in the same ship. We're in the same storm, but some of us are on life rafts and some are on cruise liners." And, um, my sister is head of school in a city school in London. My parents are both teachers and were state school teachers in, in London. And the kids that are sent, you know, when schools are closed, some of the kids don't have, you know, quiet space to work in, don't all have access to computers, don't have similar access to high speed broadband. Yeah. Don't have parents who have the freedom and the luxury of being able to sit over them and support them with their work. Yeah, you know, so I think that has a massive impact. Yeah. Um, the people at most risk of redundancies are it's skewed towards low income workers. The people who were most impacted by furlough skewed low income, skewed ethnic minority and skewed female. Mm-hmm. And then you look at what happens to companies when economic times get harder and, and any discretionary spend gets, gets, cha- gets challenged. It gets cut. Um, and that includes things like DNI budgets. Particularly in the UK, I don't see it as much in the US, where I feel like the the impact of things like the Black Lives Matter movement is is putting more pressure on on those budgets remaining and people actually increasing focus if anything. But you know, the it's I think it's a challenging environment. You look at graduates, seventy percent. I was reading an article the other day. Seventy percent of graduate positions have been lost. Mm. Yeah, you know, when things are difficult, we are inherently tribal beings, and we do we revert to some of the kind of hardwired, ingrained behaviours and perceptions. Even if we're not aware that we're doing it, it's more likely to happen. Yeah. So I just think you've got this perfect storm of of challenges that we all need to be very aware of if we want to prevent what's already not a great picture. I mean, social equality is already not doing tremendously. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it could get worse if we don't step up.
0: Yeah. thanks for sharing that um, so if people want to find out more about uh, the work that you're doing with RISE uh, where's the best place for them to, to find out more
1: uh, so our website is joinrise.com spelled with a Z mm-hmm. so www.joinrize.com um, I'm also on, on Tech London mm-hmm. um, and on LinkedIn and all the usual places and always Always keen to connect with people and anybody who's passionate or interested or curious, even, we'd love to chat.
0: Fantastic! Thank you so much, Adrian.
1: No, thank you for your time. Cheers. Bye.
0: You've been listening to the Tech London show. If you're interested in joining the community or even making an appearance on this show, make sure you join our Slack group over at techlondon.io. Till next time.